Kulang began here in Hawaii and belongs to Hawaii. If Hawaii ceases to exist, Kula ceases to exist. We're brought up in our educational system to think globally. And I think we need to scale back on that a little bit. It's not about thinking globally. It's the globe has to think island. Aina Aloha Economic Futures Plan is a way for us to think about, a way forward, to think about how our cultural practices and traditions not only align, but can drive successful economics here in Hawaii. This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Kenji Cataldo. I'm Suyuno Amos. Each week, we'll be talking story with grassroots community organizers at the forefront of progressive movements for change in Hawaii. Over this series, we're featuring the 30 grantees who received community-raised funds through the Hawaii People's Fund this year. It's our biggest cohort to date, and we're so excited to share their stories with you. Today, we're talking with Dr. Noe Noe Wong Wilson and Kumuhula Snowbird Bento from Lala Kea Foundation. Lala Kea Foundation promotes the perpetuation of hula and cultural practices as a key to unlocking an aina-based future for Hawaii. From gathering rights to the rich archive of knowledge stored in hula, this conversation really helped us appreciate the deep connections between art and culture and aina. Let's get into our interview. We are here today with Dr. Noi Noi Wong Wilson and Kumuhula Snowbird Bento representing Lala Kea Foundation. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and how you're involved with Lala Kea Foundation? Oh, yeah. Um, aloha Avakea Kako, Snowbird, Puanani o Pawa Kalani Bento, um, no Pawa o Ahumayau, uh, He Kumuhula Vau Ahe Lala Hoi no Lala Kea Foundation. Um, aloha, everybody. Good to see you, folks. My name is Snowbird, Puanani o Pawa Kalani Bento, and I come from Pawa o Ahu. I currently serve on Lalakia Foundation as its president and have been part of the Lalakia Foundation since I think 2012. 2012. Aloha. I'm Noinoi Wong Wilson. Um, my hilo mayau. I am the executive director of Lalakia Foundation and I have actually served generally in this capacity uh, since 1997 when Lalakea Foundation was first formed. Can you share with us that story of how Lalakea Foundation came to be? Sure. Um, and maybe Snowbird can help me a little with this, but uh, I think it was back in hmm, 1996 or so, 1997, when there was a um, large movement, political movement of from Native Hawaiians at the state legislature to protect uh, gathering rights. And uh, a large number of kumuhula and hula practitioners had gathered at the state capitol in uh, a memorable display of, of cultural resistance towards what uh, people were considered considering at the time to be uh, an imposition on 
on our rights as practitioners and uh, spiritualists and natives to have the right to gather our our own cultural um, um, cultural things. You know, our cultural protocol, our cultural. Um, belongings from from our landscape and so that was a really um, historic movement that ended up with a, a bill and an act that protected um, that acknowledged and protected Native Hawaiian gathering rights uh, but from that came eventually grew two organizations and one um, which began as Iliolo Kalani um, which is a name that many of, of us are familiar with, um, transformed into Lala Kea Foundation as the nonprofit organization to perpetuate culture and our um, cultural practices and protection of our spiritual landscape. And also Iliolo Kalani, who, who continues to guard our um, our rights as Native Hawaiians and as hula practitioners and, and cultural practitioners uh, to have access to those things that are most important for our practices, especially especially our aina. Um, and so it began in that way. And, and uh, since then, Lala Kea in, in 2001 uh, began a uh, long journey called Ka'ahahula o Halawa Ola, and, and Ka'ahahula o Halawa Ola um, was a, a multi-year, multi-island um, gathering of hula practitioners from Hawaii and around the world to lift our practice, uh, but also to, to transform the sharing of the practice. Um, which had maybe previously been kept um, isolated to the function of the halau or the learning schools, the teaching schools. Um, and it was a, a large attempt to, to try and um, elevate the practice of hula amongst uh, many cultural practitioners of all levels. So whether you were beginning, uh, whether you were uh, very experienced, whether you actually had roots in Hawaii and, and the formal training that we're used to um, here in the islands, or whether you adopted and adapted our cultural practice to become your own and you come from a faraway place. Um, our, our group of Kumuhula, which included such people as um, uh, well-known Kumuhula, Pualani Kanakaole, Kanahele, Hokulani Hope Padella, and Lena Ala Kalamahaini at the time, Alicia Smith, um, and a few others. We, we all came together with that intent. And this Halawa Ola conference began um, for that purpose, to, to have a place where our Kumuhula could come and share uh, some of their knowledge and practices with a larger community and with each other. And so that began in 19, in 2001, that was the first one held in Hilo, and then continued for the next um, 20 years. Um, Halawa Ola was held on every major island, um, on Maui, on Oahu, 
on Kauai and then finally returned back to Hilo in 2018 um, for for the last uh, for the last of the series. Um, I think what I'd like to share is uh, a little bit about Lalakea Foundation itself. Um, Lalakea Foundation has a mission, and our mission is to perpetuate our traditional art forms of hula and other types of cultural practices that are pili to Hawaii. Um, our goals include things like being able to demonstrate uh, or traditions or even teachings, uh, the way that we transmit knowledge throughout the generation, so a transference of knowledge. Uh, we're also... Uh, we also look to provide learning and enrichment um, platforms for hula practitioners. Thus, Halawaola is probably our main and most popular platform um, to date. And then the last of our goals is really to educate, to ensure that um, those who would like to know more, they have a place to come to to know more those who are seeking more answers about what it is that hula helps us to understand about our relationship with our land and our environment in its totality from you know the heavens above us all the way to the honua and then deep into kanehualani what are those things that we're looking to be able to connect to um, that helps to inform um, our cultural practices and so if, if there are others that um, are looking for those kinds of, of answers, if you will, I guess you could say we're one of um, the places that they can come to and we can work together on those types of um, goals and projects. Thank you for sharing that about the history of Lalakea Foundation and about some of your programming. I wonder if this would be a good time for you to share some of the changes now you've seen over the course of the 20 or so years of working with Lalakea Foundation. You mentioned there are different ways of transmitting and sharing knowledge. I guess I'm wondering, what is the state of hula today and how does it compare to 20 or so years ago? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't mind to, to say that um, I became a kumuhula through traditional uniki process in November of 2002. At the time, I was 26 years old, quite young in a sense. But I'd lived kind of a life influenced by hula from a very, very young age and influenced by uh, Mele and Oli from a very young age as um, both sides of my family always played music. So when I think about that experience and that kahua or foundation of understanding uh, how I come to understand hula for myself, firstly, um, I would say that hula continues to evolve. And it continues to evolve informed by the traditions and the cultural practices of our kupuna that have been either passed down directly, such as the case for uh, our uh, Loea Hula, who she always says, I'm no Loea, my mother was the Loea, and that would be Kuala Nikanaka Ole Kanahele. She lived uh, a life inspired and influenced by Hula with, with no break. 
Uh, we've had many discussions about that. So when I say no break, there was no intellectual break. There was no knowledge break of what was being transferred and transmitted from one generation to the next. We see big breaks or bigger breaks in Halau that were more in the, in the city structure, in the urban structure, because which is where I come from. Uh, mainly because there was a time when, when Hula was outlawed in, in Honolulu. And we were not allowed to freely and openly practice. And so what happens to, what happened to Hula was that it went to live in uh, rural places and underground. They thrived. They continued to thrive. But in the urban setting, not as much. And so we do have little breaks here and there. What is important for most people to understand also is that hula is about passing on information that was really kept by families, by family units. And there are sets of dances and chants that those families either created and or kept and then continue to pass them down. So when I look at hula, say uh, the stretch of the life of Mary Monarch, 50 years about 50 years now. If you look at hula performed in the first competitions and then you look at hula performed 20 years later, you will see some generational differences. That would have taken us into, oh, like the late 80s, early 90s. And then I start entering my first Mary Monarch in 2004. And so do I see uh, an, an evolution of hula over time? Absolutely, yes. One of the major things we notice is that Kumuhula, as practitioners, go from having Hawaiian language, Olelo Hawaii, as their main source of communication, then into English, then into Kumuhula, who don't speak Hawaiian, but they can chant Hawaiian, they can dance all the stuff, no problem. They understand what it is that they're passing forward, but they don't have that key, for whatever reason, to be able to unlock all the deeper things. And so then we come to this generation right now who have more kumuhula who are understanding and speaking Hawaiian. And does that help you be able to dive deeper into the knowledge database that we have at our fingertips? It absolutely does. But luckily for us, we also have the Puakanaka Oles and the Lena Alakalamahainis and the Hokulani Holtz who help us remember what the bridge is supposed to be like. And so I would say, yes, there is an absolute difference. Um, and it's an evolution, I think, in the right direction. So I mentioned earlier that um, the main reason that we engaged in the Ka'aha Hula o Halawa Ola uh, project and, and the many years that was spent uh, putting the, that effort together um, was because this group of Kumuhula decided that they, they wanted to provide a learning platform that could reach far and wide into those practitioners or those individuals who consider themselves practitioners of hula to set a platform, to set a foundation, to allow people to have a reason to come back to Hawaii um, to participate in these events, because at the time they were face-to-face -face events, and to engage in um, numerous uh, workshops and, and activities, learning activities, um, to 
to build on their understanding of what hula is and in that way try and affect the the integrity of of hula as we saw it being practiced and performed so first let me let me also say that of the entire group the um 10 kumuhula who are currently uh, board members and the past kumuhula who have been board members of Lalakea, I'm um, I'm the only non-Kumuhula, but I've been around them <laughs> and worked with them and supported them um, for for all of these years. And so, you know, I, I um, look at this and my participation um, from that from that position of being a practitioner, being a, a hula dancer and um, a chanter and an and a forever student, a lifelong student of these arts, um, but also, I think, gifted with the ability to to participate along with all the kumuhula in in all of this. So, besides kaahuhula and the and the stage performances that accompanied every one of our large um, uh, conferences uh, this past year. We supported an emerging group of Kumuhula, um, a younger generation um, led by one of our own um, board members, Hokulani Hope Padilla. Um, and, and this was an effort called Hua Makahikina um, Declaration. So, this is a group of Kumuhula who started to gather after COVID came into the community and one of our board members, Mehana Okala Hind, gathered Kumuhula together uh, to talk about the effect of COVID on on our hula family, right? Our hula halau who are no longer able to gather face-to-face on the health of our lahui and our community of our ohana. And, and that was a really successful effort. Um, that was supported by the Office of Hawaiian Affairs in reaching out to the hula community or reaching out to the community through hula and through the hula ohana hula practitioners. But that merged into a discussion, and Snowbird was part of this, but if if uh, I can be allowed to just, just describe this, this project, it emerged into a discussion on, on um, what what hula is all about, you know, extension of what we've been talking about and, and a concern again, it's cause it's always been a concern. So a, a continued concern that uh, perhaps hula was being um, performed in many arenas and people may not have all of the, um, all of the the background and the cultural understanding and knowledge, you know, to to really practice this art and this cultural um, th- this culture that belongs to us that comes from Hawaii is rooted here in Hawaii and really belongs to the the Hawaiian people and it's being practiced in other arenas. And, and perhaps not practice uh, and understood to the level that we believe hula should be um, understood. And so out of that emerged a um, declaration on the uh, integrity, stewardship, 
and protection of hula. And so it was a, a declaration that was endorsed, ratified by um, 200 Kumu Hula. It defines hula. It defines um, Kumu Hula and, and declares, uh, and, and, you know, it's just a really comprehensive document um, that is meant to be a starting point for this continued discussion, but just to also in align with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, in line with our own Paokaleni Intellectual Properties Declaration that was established a number of years ago here in Hawaii, and in line with people like Snowbird and Arlalakea, Kumuhula, and others who, for whom hula is not just a hobby, right? It's a lifestyle. It is part of our whole life being and life ways and and cultural patrimony so um that is that is all part of it so we uh, lalakea was one of the the sponsors and sponsoring hosts of this attempt this endeavor by um this group of kumuhula who came together and so those are just different ways to address what you're talking about and and that effort continues so I wanted to ask about Aina Aloha Economic Futures and what that project is and how Lala Kea Foundation got involved or what you see your piece of that being. Sure. So, so when we talk about, you know, the, the function of Lala Kea and our purpose, um, in in protecting, in practicing and protecting and, and educating about our spiritual and cultural practices through, um, as Snowbird described earlier, you know, through hula, through protocol, through through oli, mele, and um, and the dance, um, we it's it's intimately tied with protecting our landscape because hula is an aina. And we, as Native Hawaiians, our relationship is inseparable, right? It's all part of the same. You cannot have hula without Hawaii, without this landscape. We wouldn't call ourselves Hawaiian, Hawaii, or, or Native Hawaiians without this physical landscape that we live on. And so, so in that context, it's as important for us to take care of our aina, our land, our physical landscape that we live on, that we nurture, that nurtures us in order for us to live here. This is important for us to take care of that. It's for that reason that we support and are active in such things as protecting the sacred landscape of Mauna Kea, engaging with Aina Aloha Economic Development initiative which is which is an initiative that also came about when covid entered into our community and when everything came to a halt as we know when covid forced us into our homes and we were no longer we weren't allowed for over a year well over a year to engage with each other physically to be on our own aina as we had practiced you know for our for generations. And what we saw was that our government leaders were not uh, considering um, 
care for our aina and our landscape in their effort to to uh, restart our economy because as we know you know the short story everything came to a grinding halt and our economic structure just came to a grinding halt so I think we all saw that within 30 days there was a a very um, abrupt change for the better in what was happening in nature without with with the absence of humans in many of our areas, whether they be beaches or forest areas, trails, uh, with the absence of humans, native humans, as well as visitors, that nature started to regenerate and revive itself, that plants and animals and fish came back into into uh, their natural habitat. And so this group of us came together and I was fortunate enough to be invited to that uh, uh, to that table to form what we called Aina Aloha Economic Futures Initiative. And that was to urge our decision makers and remind our community that we could imagine a better Hawaii for all of us. That there, this was an opportunity for us to reset ourselves, to reset our future, and to base it on that thing that is most fragile. And it's not us as humans, it's our aina. And it's the health and welfare of our aina. So all this is real consistent with Lalakea Foundation and with our goals of Lalakea Foundation and, and um, our efforts to take care of our landscape, to take care of our aina, so that uh, it can be present for generations to come. And so it all sort of works together. And um, in my position, I'm fortunate to be able to uh, to participate in a number of different venues like that and to bring um, bring all of this together. So, you know, in my life, whether I'm executive director of Lala Kea or participating in Aina Aloha or several of us up on uh, Mauna Kea to, uh, to state our, our claim and, and our intent to make sure we, we take care of that landscape. It's all folded into the same, same effort. I wouldn't mind to just add one small little thing there, and I think uh, it drives home all of what Noi Noi shared just now, is that the Aina Aloha Economic Futures Plan is a way for us to think about, a way forward, to think about how our cultural practices and traditions not only align, but can drive successful economics here in Hawaii. And to not, um, you know, to see it in its totality and to really make a pivot that would change the face of economics here in Hawaii uh, for all of our people so that we can actually uh, work together, really work together collaboratively to create a better Hawaii for all of us and our keiki. I wanted to ask if you could share with us, both of you, your visions for the future, thinking about some of the things we've touched on, about the connections between aina and culture and economics and language, and just thinking about these trends you were talking about. Could you um, paint us a picture of your vision for the future of hula and for the future of Hawaii? No, that's kind of all. 
it's not a far-fetched question at all. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm certain that with all of the work that's been done already uh, to get us to this place uh, in Hula, we are thinking about the future. We are thinking about the ways in which what we do influence future in Hawaii. And, um, you know, thinking about working on a strategic plan, say, that covers what is Lalakia's vision for the next 10 to 15 years? Where do we want to go? Where is it that we want to do? And so I think that, the, that we focus in then uh, on several things. You hear this a lot in, in uh, Hawaiian language and immersion education circles. So the same could be said about our cultural immersion. Because the truth is, Kula began here in Hawaii and belongs to Hawaii. It really belongs to nowhere else on the planet. Just like what Noi Noi said, if Hawaii ceases to exist, Kula ceases to exist. If we Kanaka are not here on our homeland so that we can tell you about this wind and we can tell you about this rain and why it was given that name and tell you about the different land features of the area that you live in so that you understand that during the wet and rainy season, you looking at flooding because this is the kinds of rains that come down in these areas. Or when you're looking at drilling into another aquifer, think about where that water is coming from and who, who is it going to be benefiting. We live on Oahu. We have well over a million people. I live in Kapolei. And next door to where I live on the uh, Kanehili homestead, they're building the second phase of Ho'opili. I've been very ma'a to this land all these years. I've lived on the west side of Oahu since I was 15 years old, so just about 30 years. And I have seen dramatic change to the landscape. When I'm driving north to get to the freeway from where I live, and I look at Makakilo, it is almost, it's getting gouged out month after month, year after year to the point where half of that mountain in the front is gone. I don't know how many people are realizing that those things are happening in our backyard. Not enough of us are, are exposed to our own backyard to, to care. And if we get people exposed to what's happening in our backyard because it belongs to us and we're supposed to be taking care of our backyard, then we'll actually have buy-in in all of the arenas like politics, like government, like construction, like where does our water come from, like food sovereignty. We'll start thinking about those things and going, oh, I live on an island with finite resources and I come from a culture that understood that concept one and was able to thrive on an island with finite resources thrive and if i had a dream that would be part of the dream to take to take us there because i don't want my keiki and my mo'opuna 
having to move away from Hawaii. That they'll not know that part of themselves and may take them generations to re-know that part of themselves. And so for me, when I look at what are the strategic purposes that Lalakea is looking at through education, community-wide education, not just for Native Hawaiians, but community. Our community is made up of more than just Kanaka. And we all need to think with an open mind, growth mindset, and a collaborative mindset in order for all of us to thrive. Because I don't know about anybody else, but I'm not planning to go anyplace else. This is home. This is the kulaivi of my kupuna. This is the kulaivi that I will canoe my bones into. And this is the kulaivi that my keiki and all the rest of the generations that come after me will have to stand on and say, no, I have an inherent responsibility to this place to remember my relationships with it and to care for those relationships. Because to me, then that's the success. And all the pedagogy, all the data is in our dances, is in our chants, it's in our cultural practices. They're there. We have the key to success. We just got to relearn how to access the key. I want to just add uh, a little bit to what Snowbird just said is... um, that we also have to learn to live within our island environment, you know. So we don't have, we, we don't view our lifestyle and life ways the same way that people who live on continents do. We don't have the ability to just open a sluice gate and bring water in from a neighboring community or likewise to borrow energy from, you know, from a, a grid that's expansive, that's connected to um, other region, other parts of, of a region. Heva'a himoku, himoku heva'a, that's a phrase that comes from our island um, traditional canoe, the Makali'i here on Hawaii Island. And that it means that the island is, is a canoe, the canoe is an island. There is a completely different mentality and perspective that island people have to remember all the time. And sometimes we're we're brought up in our educational system to think globally. You know, that's been the the trend since the 70s, right? Think globally, think globally. And and I think we need to scale back on that a little bit. It's not about thinking globally. It's the globe has to think island. The world needs to think like an island. It's just the opposite. If everyone thought about themselves as if they come from an island and made the best use of the resources available to them so that those resources are preserved over a long period of time and regenerate, right? So part of the Aina Aloha Economic uh, Development Initiative, we keep hearing the word regenerative, regenerative tourism, circular economy. That means to stop being extractive. That means to stop taking things out of a system that then doesn't allow for things to be replenished. And if you look at us from an island economy and an island um, 
an island base we need to learn to live within that. And so it's it's a struggle. It, nobody said it was easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't be in the pickle that we find ourselves now. Um, but absolutely, that that's all part of the, the uh, Hawaiian view, the Hawaiian perspective. Uh, we don't want to call it the Hawaiian worldview. It should be the worldview to be and act more like Hawaiians. You know, and then maybe we'd be able to, uh, to to know that our species will survive, and not only. And when I say our species, I'm also talking about the birds, the animals, the insects. You know, and and uh, the things that belong here before humans, that belong on the land. Those are such inspiring visions of the future, and I really appreciate. Hula as this archive really is what you're talking about. And as Kumu Snowbird mentioned, is the this key that we have to learn how to access. And the work you're doing in Lala Kea Foundation is vital to that unlocking. For any of our listeners who are interested in learning more about your work or getting involved, how can they plug into the work you're doing? Uh, well, we do have a website. Uh, Lalakea Foundation or lalakea.org. Um, and, you know, it's, you can get more information about what we do there um, or write to us at lalakeafoundation at gmail.com. And uh, when we are able to um, activate our, our next uh, program, and, uh, you know, then we invite everybody to participate as best they can. Um, and then, of course, they can always contact Hawaii People's Fund, <laughs> who is, you know, a, a great partner for us and with us. Thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's really been a pleasure. Mahalo, you folks. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me, and me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary, from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Production of this podcast is supported by a fellowship from Princeton University. Thank you to our community donors, and to you, our audience, for listening. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Nava'a Mao Marine Stewardship Program. So what I see for the future our fleets of va'a, caring for our ocean, caring for our peoples. You don't want to miss it.